0: As I am talking to you this morning, you're going to see a video from the TV show, Forged. Now, what they're doing in this video is placing a knife in intense heat so they can shape it. See, besides the heat, the cooling process is just as important. Metal workers have discovered that changes occur in the metal itself during the cooling down period. In fact, if they cool down too fast, it can cause microscopic cracks that will weaken the strength of the metal. Well, to ensure that the cooling process strengthens the metal, once formed, the hot metal is placed in a quenching bath, and that's what you're seeing. Then, when the right temperature is reached, it's dropped into what's called a constant temperature bath until it attains uniform temperature throughout. And finally, it's allowed to slowly cool in the air until it reaches room temperature. This waiting is essential to ensure the metal's strength so it can fulfill its purpose. Now, like metal, our faith is similar. We go through cool-down periods. In Scripture, God is referred to as a refiner, a worker with metal. He places his servants in seasons of intense heat to purify them, to make his people more useful for his service, for his purposes. Read Malachi chapter 2, 17 to chapter 3, verse 6. And like with hot metal, the cooling, or the waiting, is a vital part of the strengthening process. But in the waiting, in the waiting, doubt can create impatience, which can eventually lead to giving up. You see, we tend to doubt when the vision or the task that God has given us, it seems impossible to achieve or hopelessly delayed in becoming reality. As Christians, we are a people who live by a promise, a promise that God gives us that we cannot actually see. We have a vision of it, but we can't see it with our eyes. Hebrews 11 verse 1 puts it this way, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, the foundation of our Christian faith is to believe the promises of God to be true, though we cannot see them. Let me give you some examples of the beliefs we're talking about. Beliefs like there's a heaven and a hell The belief that God is on a throne giving and directing the universe. The belief that angels are watching people come to Jesus and they celebrate when that happens. See, we can't actually see what's going on in heaven. We can't actually see what God is doing on the throne. But we believe it to be true because God tells us it is true in his word. Oz Guinness says this, faith lives between God's promise and God's fulfillment. See, faith is right here, between God's promise and God's fulfillment. And if one of these fails, faith's task is to join hands with the past and the future to hold down God's will in the present. That's powerful. It's this joining of hands of the past and the future That God has done. If you have ever bought a home, you know what it's like to live in this tension between the past and the future for the present. Just think of it this way Think of the moment you first walked into that place knowing that this house is going to be our home. You remember that day with the realtor? You walk in and the house is bare, no furnishings. But as you walk through, you get more and more excited. What made you so excited about that place? Well it wasn't what you saw at that moment when the realtor took you in. It's a bare house. Uh, the rooms, they're they're painted the different color, the carpet is dirty. Um the the it's just bare. It's not you. But you fell in love with that house because you had ideas about what the house would be like when you moved into it. You see that? In your mind you could see what it would be like with your furniture, with your colors, with your family in the home. This is what faith is like. As Christians, we have ideas about the future, which are God's ideas, but we live them out until they become reality that we can actually see. Romans 4.17 describes God as one who calls into being that which does not exist, the future. As God's people, we have always gained hope and encouragement. Uh, We've gained the determination to carry on because with our faith, we see the invisible vision of what God has promised that is yet to come. So what does this have to do with doubt? As a people who live by a vision from God in Scripture, in waiting for the vision to become reality, say the second coming of Christ, for instance, the evidence on earth can sometimes make our faith seem like a pipe dream. The world gets more violent. The world gets more divided. Calamity and loss become greater and greater. And as we look at the evidence in front of us, the evidence that we see, it can make us wonder if what you cannot see could possibly be true. Is God really ruling as all the world just spins into chaos? but here's what scripture shows us. The facts we see are not all the facts. The facts we see are true. The coronavirus is dangerous. Uh, Unemployment is hurting families who are struggling. Racial divide is still a problem in the United States. And as things get worse and worse and more dangerous around the world, the facts can make us wonder if God has retired from ruling the universe. God's people in the Old Testament, they faced headlines that were just as bad and just as challenging as ours today. Uh, Consider the headlines that the prophet Jeremiah faced in Jeremiah chapter 32. Jerusalem was under attack from the Babylonians. And Jeremiah himself was in prison, and God has just informed Jeremiah that the Israelites will lose Jerusalem. They're going to be defeated by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to come in and take over everything. But with Jeremiah in prison and Jerusalem falling, when it looks like it can't get any worse, God tells Jeremiah that his cousin is on the way to the prison to sell Jeremiah the family land. Now get this, God tells Jeremiah that he is to buy that land from his cousin. Jeremiah was to buy land that would likely be taken from him by the Babylonians. Now such a command from God seems to be like foolishness, completely out of touch with the facts of the situation. This was not a time to buy land. It was a time to sell it. But good luck selling it. Who wants it when you know that as a country you're going to be defeated and you're going to be driven into exile? So, what does Jeremiah do when his cousin arrives? Though he did not understand why, Jeremiah obeys God and he buys the land. You see, Jeremiah will trust God to know some facts that are yet unknown to Jeremiah. Again of this text, Augustine, he writes this. Visibility may be poor, but faith pursues the vision from one glimpse to another, undeterred by whatever stands across its path. If God says so, God must know why. Then the argument is not with God but with the contradictions of the situation that deny his lordship. In other words, let me put it this way. God knows more facts than even the Babylonians who were conquering Israel. So faith trusts what God knows in his sovereignty that we cannot yet see. Think about it. Isn't this what Noah did? Noah builds this ark, this big boat, for a flood that pu- would pour down water from the skies, which had never occurred before. Abraham, he left his mansion and his homeland to live in a tent waiting for a more permanent and better city that he had never seen. Moses, he moves forward to cross the Red Sea, believing it would be like dry ground. Of all these people of faith, Listen to what Hebrews says about them. In Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 and 16, it says this, They were not yet in possession of the things promised, but had seen them far ahead and welcomed them from a distance. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is delighted when his followers trust him to know more facts about the future than what the headlines show. Now, some people may think, but isn't that being irrational? No, it simply means that humanity doesn't have all the facts, but God does. But what fact does God know that the rest of humanity that we as Christians also must grasp? It's this, that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Because of this, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's powerful. But again, the waiting. Waiting for Christ to fulfill all of God's promises, especially his second coming to make all things new. The waiting can stretch us beyond what we can believe, beyond what we can bear. And this is when doubt can slip in. And we begin asking this question Can we trust God? Can we trust God and wait when everyone else is moving on, when everyone else is going somewhere else, when everyone else is doing something else? Can we? trust God. When we wait on God, we have two options. Option one is this. We can simply give up on waiting for God. You remember the prophet Elisha. Remember when Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, was under attack from the king of Syria? See, when all looked hopeless, the king of Israel cried out. Listen to his words. This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Second Kings chapter 6, verse 33. What did the facts reveal to the king? That it's over. Israel is defeated. There is no hope. And what's interesting, even after acknowledging that God's hand was at work, the king said that. The king recognizes this. This is the work of God. He says this disaster is from the Lord. And even though he knows the fact that it's from the Lord, the king gives up waiting on God. When you know that God is at work and you give up waiting, church, that is illogical, isn't it? So here's option two. Wait on the Lord in hope. Let's move south to the southern kingdom known as Judah in the Old Testament. Their situation is no med- no better than Israel's in the north. Isaiah is the prophet to Judah, and Judah is under such fierce attack. It was so bad that Isaiah tells us that the citizens of Judah were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. If Judah were like the kingdom of Israel, They would give up waiting on God. But listen to what Isaiah tells them. He says this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, Have firm faith, or you will not stand firm. And later Isaiah will say, Keep peace, and you will be safe. I love this phrase. In stillness and in staying quiet, there lies your strength. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. So what strength is received when we wait on God in faith? Well, listen to Isaiah's description of that strength. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord in hope will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They have endurance. This isn't faith that surrenders to faith, or excuse me, this isn't faith that surrenders to fate. It is faith that finds new inspiration. It is faith that finds new energy in waiting on God. Faith is confidence that the promises of God are a day closer to being completely fulfilled. Here's my point doubt is defeated when faith waits on the Lord in hope. Church, this is why we need worship. Worship helps us see the promise that is coming. It helps us see the facts of our faith. You're going to see a picture on the screen again of Yosemite Valley in California. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. And in fact, to get there, you go through a tunnel, which opens to an awesome view of the entire valley. Uh, Standing at this one location, you see El Capitan, you see Half Dome and Cathedral Rock. Right at that tunnel opening, there's a parking area where everyone gets out of their cars, looking at the view, and you can hear people going, ooh, ah. Now imagine this. Imagine you drive through that tunnel, but when you emerge, all you see is fog. No awesome view, just thick, gray, soupy fog. That's what happens when we fail to engage our faith in worship. A faith that is not engaged in worship, yeah, it may sing the hymns, and it may read the scripture, and it may pray, and such a faith may partake of the Lord's Supper. But a faith is in the fog. We're in the practice of these worship disciplines when it doesn't impact our heart. These actions of worship, they place the beauty of God, they place the goodness of God right in front of us so that we can see it in the Lord's Supper. We can see the goodness of God in worship of songs and in prayer and in the reading of Scripture. But if we allow our faith to be like a fog because we do not engage our faith in worship, guess what happens? The fog of doubt is created by our worries. The fog of doubt is created by our fear, our pride, or even our greed. Church, if all you do in worship is go through the motions never engaging your faith to see the coming promise, then it's like getting out of the car at that parking area, staring at the fog, and simply saying, Oh, ah, they're words, but without feeling. We worship to stir our faith to life. Because if we will wait on the Lord, if we will look to Jesus expectantly, say and ask him to help us in worship, if we set our hearts on the truth of who God is as revealed in Christ, it's just a matter of time before the wind of the Spirit starts to blow and the fog starts to break up and we see the beauty of God revealed in Christ as we worship. church. Never let doubt have the final word. Worship with all your heart so you can see by faith the promise that is coming.